Hello, and welcome to the Chronicle of the Horse podcast. I'm Molly Bailey, senior reporter for the Chronicle of the Horse. Our podcast today is brought to you by Jasper Soren, an emerging industry leader in animal wellness products for dogs, horses, and cats. Jasper Soren's featured product is Premium Pet CBD. Jasper Soren laboratory tests their pet CBD to ensure the quality of the product you buy and that it has no THC. Jasper Soren's unique high concentrate formulas afford pet owners flexibility with daily dosing and individualized treatment plans. Shop for your pet CBD at jaspersorin.com. The horse world has been turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic, and things are just starting to get back to normal, depending on the state and local governments. We thought we'd look at how one horse-centric state is handling re-entry after months of regulations. Ross Petticord is head of the Maryland Horse Industry Board, part of the Maryland Department of Agriculture. He's also part of a task force set up to advise when and how sports, including horse sports, should reopen in his state. Maryland has been hit fairly hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. They're 10th in the nation by number of cases, and as of today, they've had 48,000 cases and over 2,300 deaths. Thanks for joining us today, Ross. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Would you ever have imagined that organizing a pandemic reopening would be part of your job description? Never. <laughs> and I can tell you, I've been in the horse business 70 years. Well, I'm 70 years old. And I've been in the horse business my whole life and have never really experienced anything like this. So I think that speaks for a lot of us, uh, too. I don't think we ever imagined something like this. Can you give us a summary of what the task force has been doing? Yes. Um, so uh, in Maryland, you know, the first cases were in early March. Uh, then the governor put out some notices, what's essential and what's not essential. We got a myriad of phone calls with that uh, from the different businesses. And then those clarifications were put in place. But then the governor uh, started his roadmap to recovery, and that's in three different stages. And to get ready for stage one, which we are currently in as of last week, um, the task force, uh, he formed 15 different task forces in the state. And one of those under the Department of Commerce was sports and tourism. And so we were asked to be part of the sports tourism uh, task force. And um, there were many subgroups uh, of, of other tourism activities, but the one we were specifically on was sports. And that included the Ravens, the Orioles, uh, you know, all the boating on the Chesapeake Bay, golf, etc., amateur sports. There's a big soccer complex in Montgomery County, lots of amateur soccer teams there playing, and then the equestrian. And uh, it was just wonderful that we were we were cast in the same light as the Ravens and the Orioles, and we actually had four people on the task force, and they included uh, Sal Sinatra from the racetracks. Of course, the Preakness uh, is you know such a big 
part of the Maryland horse industry. Cricket Goodall from the Maryland Horse Breeders. She's also director of the Maryland Million. And Neil Agat, who is president of the Maryland Horse Council, and myself. And then we were asked and tasked for uh, how do you look for recovery in stage one, where uh, you still are doing social distancing, mask, uh, uh, also no gatherings of 10 or more. Those were sort of the parameters. And we determined and set out best practices. Uh, we set out first the racetracks, and the racetracks sort of took care of themselves. They have you know, uh, they're under the Maryland Racing Commission and the Department of Labor. So the horse industry board that I work for, we're under the Department of Agriculture, and we're basically non-racing and recreational equestrian activities. And so, um, and cricket is with the breeding industry, the thoroughbred breeding industry, which is also, you know, obviously a big part of Maryland. So um, the racetrack put out their own protocols, but, you know, we worked with them on the task force. And then uh, with the Horse Council and Cricket and myself, and also Ann Litz, who's a big part of my team, we set together what are the three main parts of uh, the recreational riding that are affected by this. One was horse shows and events, another was horseback riding trails, and the other was our lesson barns and boarding barns. And uh, so we, we, we had a week to do all of this in. It was a very hectic week. Uh, I think from April 21st to April 28th, when the governor announced his first uh, uh, task force report. And happily, um, our recommendations were followed that horseback riding is low risk. Uh, we can meet these parameters at our lesson and boarding barns and on our horse trails. So uh, right away, uh, and even before stage one began, he, he listed permitted outdoor activities. And that was golf and water sports on the bay, uh, marinas and so forth. But he also included opening our lesson and boarding barns, as long as they followed these strict procedures. And uh, so very happily, they had been closed maybe for five to six weeks. So this got them back up and running again. Uh, the horseback riding trails and state parks had been closed to riders. Uh, however, that reopened. Uh, at first, you had to be accompanied by family members or someone from your household. And then they modified that within a few days where anyone could ride in state parks, uh, take your horse there, as long as it was gatherings of 10 or less. And uh, so happily, that's all worked out very well. Um, what has not happened so far is the return of racing without spectators and our horse shows and events without spectators that had been recommended. However, this afternoon at five o'clock, the governor has a news conference. The racetrack started taking entries yesterday. And so um, I don't want to jump ahead and I'm not sure, but they are hoping that they'll be able to run uh, this weekend for the first time since March 15th when they were closed down. And, and we hope that uh, horse shows and events will soon thereafter follow if indeed it's not announced that they can uh, start at this news conference today. Uh, we just submitted another report to the task force 
with a representative sampling of horse shows and events from uh, uh, for the next three months. And, uh, uh, and they've all, I must say, this is amazing. Everyone is acting so responsibly uh, from the lesson in boarding barns to the trail riders and now to the protocols that the horse show and event people are putting together. A lot of it's following USCF and World Health Organization and FEI guidelines for the ones that are sanctioned. But even the schooling shows and the smaller shows that we've contacted and smaller dressage shows, they have very well thought out protocols of staggering people, online registrations. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling how people have responded to this and how responsible the horse community is um, in our state. Um, so anyway, uh, hopefully uh, soon our horse shows and events will be able to start probably without spectators and quite frankly, not many have that many spectators anyway. So um, uh, it is outdoors, it's low risk, um, social distancing can easily be practiced and, uh, and you know, dressage horses compete solo, cross country horses, uh, three day eventing, it's solo, the horse shows and the hunter jumper rings, they, they go solo, it's, it's not, you know, uh, group sports. Uh, hack classes may be different, but they can be easily split up and run in different divisions and smaller groups. Um, so anyway, um, and we figure that the number of personnel that it takes to put on a race card each day is roughly equivalent to what it takes to put on a horse show or an event. Um, you know, there are, say, 10 horses in a race, there are 10 jockeys, 10 starting gate crew, 10 grooms that take the horses over, 10 trainers that saddle them. Uh, then the stewards and the timers and all the other personnel, the veterinarians. And I would say that's probably roughly what it would take to put on a horse show or an event. Uh, maybe a larger, uh, big FEI horse show is different like Capital Challenge, which will be uh, starting in the end of September, going into October. Oliver Kennedy has, uh, uh, you know, huge... Uh, influx of horses for that, but it's, it's over several days. And, and he has put together amazing protocols. And I think he's been on some of the USEF and safety committees as well. So he's, he's actually helped us uh, in some of our thoughts with the task forces, et cetera. So it's really been uh, a blessing to reach out and uh, have a collaborative experience with all, with, our different barns, our horse show operators, our different organizations. That's uh, uh, it, It's been a really positive experience, I must say, despite the dire consequences of what and the and the environment in which we're operating. Right. So we're starting to reopen for better or worse. What's that going to look like for riders in Maryland? Well. Uh, they've already been riding at the Lesson of Boarding Barns for almost a month now because it was permitted outdoor activities, I think April 28th is when horseback, uh, the Lesson Barns. So what they've been doing and it's been staggering their riding lessons. You still cannot have a gathering of 10 or more. Uh, a lot of stables are putting, uh, you know, liability and insurance forms. Uh, one parent can drop off the student and uh, or you know, one person, uh, that person rides, and they're running 
all day long, <laughs> these staggered rotting lessons. And uh, the reports I get are that uh, some people are still uh, reluctant to return um, for fear of, you know, of the virus. But um, I think there's been, by and large, a resumption of the rotting lessons. And, and, but over a longer period of time and, uh, and more individual lessons and actually small group lessons. So as one stable full moon farm, and that's Karen Fulton, who's vice chair of our horse industry board, she's operating between 50 and 60% capacity. Um, the other 30% or so is her horse shows and she's not allowed to run her horse shows or events yet, but she is up to uh, 50 to 60% capacity of her lesson program. And uh, she has about 200 lessons a week. So, but it's working from dawn to dusk. And fortunately, she said, the, the kids uh, by and large are out of school and also adults are teleworking. So they have more flexible schedules where they can come and ride at different times during the day, afternoon, early evenings, et cetera. So I think that's, we have 700 licensed boarding and lesson barns in Maryland. And through that network, we're able to uh, be in touch with a lot of those folks. We have a subset called our Horse Discovery Centers of about 40 stables uh, that we really work closely with. They are ones that allow the public onto their farms uh, throughout the year. Of course, the, they're not allowing them on now under current restrictions. But um, uh, so we have a pretty good handle on what they're, uh, uh, what they're about. Uh, during the time they were closed down, we had one stable that, you know, they did sponsorships of horses so they could feed their lesson horses. And uh, one guy had 53 sponsors for her a uh, 15 horse program. And a lot of them were people in the community that had nothing to do with horses, that just love uh, horses and wanted to see support uh, for the horse community. The Maryland Fund for Horses, uh, which has a hay bank and a feed bank, opened up their program very uh, graciously to allow lesson barns and lesson horses to be covered under that. Usually it's just individuals who are in need. And uh, I think they've had, had about eight or 10 uh, applications for hay. But now that everybody's up and running in some format and the boarders can come back and ride their horses and take care of their horses, that was a big concern for several weeks. Um, so I think things, it's a new normal, but I, from what I understand, things are working very well at the majority of our uh, lesson and boarding barns. And I I think that will be the case going forward as we gradually reopen more and more. Trails, uh, from what I understand, uh, people out riding on the trails and that's opened up again and uh, uh, can't have big trail rides yet. Uh, but, you know, a group of 10 or less going for a trail ride is still a nice uh, experience. So anyway. That's great. Your group has been giving advice to horsemen all along during the quarantine. Are you hearing from them? What kinds of things have they been telling you and asking you? <laughs> well, it, it's not only us, it's the Maryland Horse Council. And mm -hmm. we're two separate organizations. We're the government agency that licenses kind of a regulatory body for the, for the boarding and lesson barns. And 
They are the grassroots lobbying group for the horse industry. So both of us uh, organizations were just inundated. Um, I've kept a log, <laughs> uh, uh, literally hundreds of emails and calls uh, that we answered. And I know the horse council the same way because when these orders come out, uh, they're broadly worded and they needed some clarification. And, uh, and then, you know, it, something like this has never happened before. So we all learned the process by going, but people wanted to know, I want to go and my horse, you know, uh, has something uh, wrong with his leg or his foot. He needs to be bandaged. He needs to be ridden every day. I have, you know, uh, uh, they're a big part of my life and I'm missing them. And I mean, we heard it all. And who's essential and who's not essential to come on the farm? We have one wonderful farm that's operated by a doctor who's a member of the World Health Organization from Hopkins. And, you know, she closed her barn down right away, just herself and her employees, and, uh, and there were disgruntled boarders that couldn't come on and ride their horses. But I, we left it up pretty much for individual farm owners to take responsibility, to follow the guidelines. If they had boarders that it was essential, they say had a fancy dressage horse or fancy uh, hunter uh, that needed to be ridden and kept in work to maintain their fitness and and so forth, then they could deem them essential, write them a letter in case they were stopped uh, by the police or, or someone uh, that would allow them on the farms to take care and ride their horses. And, uh, you know, we left that up to individual farm owners. Ourselves, we have two inspectors that can go out, but as of the beginning of March, we are mandatory teleworking from home. We can't have face-to-face -face meetings, we can't go on the farm, so we certainly can't en en enforce uh, these rules and regulations. And uh, people, by and large, from what we have heard, have really stepped up to the plate and really have acted responsibly. I couldn't be prouder, quite frankly, of the horse industry in Maryland during this pandemic. That's fantastic. Are there things coming out of this that you wouldn't have expected? Any surprises? Uh, I think the surprise is, is how well everyone is working together on all of this and, uh, uh, and how helpful people have been, uh, and how revered we, we know the horse culture in Maryland goes back several hundred years and that it is part of the culture of Maryland, but the reports we get from like that one stable where, uh, uh, members of the community reached out to help feed those horses. And we hear that all over the place. So it's really heartening and to feel, I mean, you just realize how much, and I know it's not just Maryland, it's everywhere. People love horses and they want to see them taken care of and well cared for. And uh, also one good thing, uh, Karen Fulton at Full Moon was telling me today, she's getting responses without even advertising from people who have never ridden before, who now realize that it's a healthy outdoor activity. And she's had some requests for people to start riding lessons that she's never heard from before. Wow. So I think we're going to see, I mean, there's a silver lining in all of this. And 
And that is an awareness and an appreciation of the outdoors, how horses and horse people are connected to the outdoors and how that's a really healthy lifestyle. So. Excellent. Have you been communicating with other states as you've been going through this process or really focusing on Maryland? Quite frankly, I mean, I read the American Horse Council directives and, you know, we have uh, 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 where we work with different states like Pennsylvania, Virginia, they're so close and so forth. So we have anecdotal things that we hear that they're doing and so forth. But we have been so swamped and overwhelmed here. All I do is spend my day online and eating. <laughs> and, and it's it's just been it's just been amazing uh, how much work this has involved, kind of clarifying all these rules and regulations and hearing from everyone and trying to do it in a very educated, proper, safe fashion, uh, you know, where people's lives can be at stake if this virus spreads. So you know, that's always in the background that it, it, everything has to be done in a very safe manner where you look out for your fellow citizens. And, and again, the response has been, I think, really heartening and wonderful. What are the hoops to jump through to get competitions going again? Well, I think um, uh, the task force recommendation um, and the report that we filed, we had a sampling of some of our larger horse shows and events. Um, uh, that task force head, Cindy Miller, uh, received our report. She's meeting with the head of tourism tomorrow. Uh, they will discuss uh, the recommendation that the horse shows and events get started. The next thing is to take that to the secretary of the Department of Commerce, who will then take it to the governor's office. Actually, this has already happened, and uh, the governor's office has been uh, well aware of it. And um, uh, But then, once they would decide, there's county health departments that have to sign off on it. And then we have, you know, some real, a lot of horse uh, events and programs in heavily urbanized counties in Montgomery County, Prince George's County, where the Prince George's Equestrian Center is located. That's shut through the end of June already. So that's where a lot of our horse shows take place. Uh, Baltimore County, where I live, they're under some, and Howard County, they're under some stricter restrictions in the more rural parts of the state. So once the governor would give approval, then uh, the event organizers and show organizers still have to get approval from their local health departments. So it's, um, but I think once the governor would give approval and, uh, and they see all the the protocols that have been put in place that hopefully uh, uh, they will. Probably the rural parts of the state, well, obviously those shows and events will be permitted a lot earlier than the ones that are the heavy metro areas between Baltimore and Washington. Tough time to be a show organizer, it sounds like. It is. And uh, uh, so, and you know, a lot of, we have, we have a lot of sanctioned officials from FEI and USCF that operate shows and events in the state, and they have to abide by those, their, those, all those regulations because their reputations are at stake for following the rules. And, uh, 
and not only because it's the right thing to do. So yeah, it is a, it's a tough time, but hopefully, you know, we're gradually reopening and hopefully by, uh, I don't, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the governor has to say later today. And we'll see what our task force leader says tomorrow in her discussions with the head of tourism and, and with commerce. And, you know, we're just hopeful that we can open as, these shows and events as soon as we can. The organizers have certainly responded with uh, great protocols and, and regulations that put in place on their farms that we've seen. So, so what about the debut Maryland's five-star at Fair Hill that's supposed to happen this fall? What does all this mean in regards to that competition? Well, that's complicated. <laughs> but right now, all uh, uh, it's full speed ahead to go. And uh, there are different scenarios put in place with, you know, full amount of spectators, uh, lesser amount of spectators, running the competition uh, without spectators. And uh, uh, the state of Maryland uh, has invested a lot of uh, money in this. Uh, we've had private investors that put a lot of money in this. And we want to see it go. And I think we're hearing from competitors, they would like to see it go. Now, it's also the site, you know, of the national three-star championships plus the five-star. And of course, uh, we, you know, Burley is canceled. That's in September. The only two five-stars left in the calendar for the year are Fair Hill, which is a new one, and Poe in France, which I think is the week after Fair Hill. So um, we hear the competitors are anxious to go, but it also it depends on these other events opening up so the horses can get fit and be prepared for the five-star level. So, I mean, it's something that Jeff Newman, who is the CEO and president of the five-star, he has a great, he works with Mary Coltrane, who's running the competition end of it. Uh, you know, they, it's a day-to-day -day thing and they're monitoring everything daily on, uh, uh, what's going on with eventing, what's going on around the world, what's going on with the competitors, what's going on in the state, what's going on uh, in the local health departments. Uh, Fair Hill is up in a rural part of the state in Cecil County, so it doesn't have the big numbers of a Montgomery County or Prince George's, which are close to Washington, D.C. So, uh, 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 you know, that, that could be less restrictive uh, from the health department, but I know They've put in uh, all sorts of protocols. I'm on the, uh, the host organizing committee for this. There's about 15 members of that. And uh, they've just done exemplary work in, in planning for all these different scenarios. And, uh, and a lot of it is just where the virus will take us, you know? And uh, so, uh, but right now, everything is full speed ahead. And, uh, and a lot of it depends on the other competitions too, whether the horses can get ready and the, the riders uh, feel their horses will be ready. Uh, certainly the grounds are ready up there. I'm actually going up there later this afternoon. Uh, the arenas are done. Everything is finished. I think the cross country course needs the uh, portable jumps, you know, still put in place. They were going to run a test event in July. That was, uh, uh, pushed forward to August when Fairhill International has a horse trials there. So, uh, uh, so, but anyway, uh, 
Rupert Landscaping, which is a large landscaping company, was given the contract to maintain the grounds. I understand uh, the new turf course. It's just been beautifully manicured and cared for. I can hardly wait to see it today. Uh, the cross-country course, as I said, has been rolled, and it's uh, uh, they're just working on the turf and, the, and uh, seating and all of that. And I'm anxious to see where that all stands. The water jumps are in place. Water needs to be put in yet. There are two big irrigation ponds that are filled and overflowing, I think. So um, uh, everything is pretty much ready to go facility-wise. The Maryland Stadium Authority did all of this in six months. I mean, it's, of course, they built M&T Stadium and Camden Yards. So they're used to doing big projects. They do them in time, on time, and on budget. And they came through at Fair Hill. And uh, I think when people go see this facility, they're just going to be overwhelmed. And, and now we need to uh, populate it and f have people use it. And uh, horse show operators come as, as well as the three-day eventing, the racing using it. And there's lots of different people interested in, in running events and horse shows and races at Fair Hill. So uh, it's full speed ahead at this point. Excellent. Fingers crossed that'll get pulled off. Yeah, that's, you know, everything right now is fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so you just really hope for the best, you know, and, uh, and, and plan for all different scenarios and be flexible. That makes sense. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Ross. This was really great. I appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to seeing you at, at Fair Hill and our other events uh, throughout Maryland. I think in October we have the Preakness, we have the Fair Hill, the Maryland Five Star at Fair Hill, we have the Maryland Million, we have Capital Challenge Horse Show, and of course the horses for the Washington International Horse Show are stabled, and the regional show is at Prince George's Equestrian Center. That is going to be a busy month of October, and we're working on uh, now a uh, Maryland Horse Month. Uh, with a lot of virtual content uh, to start promoting uh, those events in October. So lots of good things going on despite uh, the pandemic. Excellent. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you. That's our show for the week. Thank you for listening to the Chronicle of the Horse podcast. We really appreciate Ross Patacord for coming on the show. Thank you also to our sponsor, Jasper Soren. We look forward to our next episode in June, and you can expect new episodes in your feed every month. You can listen at www.cough.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Crown of Horse. Thanks for listening.